HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Greetings, fellow mortals. I bring you news from the dairy industry. (laughs) Yeah, it's me. It's Katie Kiefer. And this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. We're going to go back to the dairy series. I took a little break there. I don't know if anybody noticed. Probably not because you probably don't listen live. But um, yeah, I was gone for a couple weeks touring cattle country in uh, northern Italy, among other things, uh, looking at the fabled Piedmontese cattle and consuming vast amounts of (laughs) Italian beef. It was really fantastic. But anyway, uh, to go back to our dairy uh, our dairy series, which we've been doing since the beginning of the year, um, today I really have a great guest. I'm, I'm very excited about this guy. Um, his name is Gary Gensky. He is the founder and managing partner of Gensky Mulder & Company, uh, which is a three-office firm that specializes in dairy farm accounting uh, and tax and estate planning for about 500 dairy farms that together produce approximately 12% of the nation's milk supply in 31 states from Hawaii to New York. He's also a partner in a dairy farm in Roswell, New Mexico, where they milk 2,000 cows daily and uh, acting in his capacity as board member and lobbyist of the National Dairy Producers Organization. That's the hat that he's wearing today in this interview. He's also a managing member of 100% USA Milk, a limited liability corporation. He lectures for the dairy industry, and he is an accounting expert witness in legal disputes and at trials. So this is the man. Okay, this is the man. Um, He knows everything there is to know about the dairy industry, and he's going to share some of that righteous information with us in just a second. Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your uh, stepping in for your colleague and uh, most importantly, for sort of reordering my questions so that we um, have a really substantive interview. Um, So thanks a million for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. And any chance I get, I 
uh, stand up for the dairy producer. You so, a righteous man. Here we are today. Here we are today. And, you know, I, I think a lot of dairy people are listening to these shows because there is so little exposure uh, to in mainstream media to what's happening to the dairy industry nationwide. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, quite a few people are going to be tuning into this either, if not uh, live right now, um, certainly later on when the podcast posts. So let's start with just talking a little bit about what the National Dairy Producers Organization is and what your mission is um, in that uh, sort of in that forum? Long story short, uh, many of us uh, on the board of directors, uh, a couple have dropped off for various reasons, retiring. Uh, some have passed away from our board. But this board has uh, either uh, currently uh, are producing milk or have in the past. You must be a dairy farmer to belong to our organization as a full member. We accept associate members for vendors and whatnot. And this organization is all about uh, our, well, let's just say our number one priority is producer profitability for sustainability. And we do what it, whatever it takes to get everybody on that path. So how does your organization differ from, say, uh, um, you know, the Dairy Farmers of America or National Milk Producers Federation or other yes. uh, trade organizations? Sure. Dairy Farmers of America is not a trade organization. It is the largest dairy cooperative receiving right. and handling milk in the country. But it it supports many uh, organizations, primarily uh, in in when it comes to lobbying in D.C. for farm bills and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But I, I would say that you have this National Milk Producers Federation that's been around considerably longer than we have. We've, we've only been organized six years, oh. but many of us have been, been looking out for dairy farmers for decades. But National Milk Producers Federation... Uh, is the sort of speak the political arm and and fronts off publicity and all kinds of things on behalf of the the dairy industry. Uh-huh. Okay. So we represent producers. They represent every theoretically they represent producers, but but our voice isn't getting heard through them uh in DC. So our we feel anyway. Mhm. So you guys have a con- on your webpage, I read your contract, and you, you talk about the contract uh, with producers that you make, and, and why is it different from other co-ops or other organizations that support dairy suppliers? Like, what makes you guys different from the National Milk Producer Federation? Do they have a contract uh, with their producers as you do, or, or are they sort of more divorced from the rank and file, as it were? Well, National Milk... Uh, uh, in in uh, Arlington, Virginia, is supposed to be representing uh, dairy farmers across the nation. Yeah, uh, we feel that they have the retailers and processors more at heart than they do the dairy producer themselves. I, I mean, their track record proves it. Okay. Uh, we had no meaningful 2014 farm bill. We lobbied against what they were going after. And here we're living with whatever they produced, income over feed margin protection plan. Um, so 
we feel we are going to represent solely the producers, not the retailers or processors. Right, right. That's an important distinction that uh, needs to be made, I think, for everybody to really get what's going on here. So just out of curiosity, how many trade organizations exist in the dairy industry? And and what, I mean, if you guys are really on the side of dairy farmers where the National Milk Producer Federation is more a retail uh, grocery, you know, distributor based uh, organization what where do where do all these different organizations fall into you know line like i mean isn't the net so for instance the big co-op the dairy farmers of america which by the way just for listeners uh to know i did invite them uh to do a program with me and uh they could not find a date it appeared uh for months <laughs> really for the <laughs> I mean, I offered them at least four to six dates and none of them worked, you know, like over the course of three months. So, you know, I don't think they were that interested. Um, but just to say that I did contact them. Um, but like, so where, where do you guys, where, where, where do all these different organizations stand in terms of how many exist for the farmer? How many exist for the retailer? You know, what's, what's the range here and, and what do yeah. they all do and are they well, worth it? <laughs> when, when we're all looking out for our best interests. In other words, th- there's a retail dollar, and all we farmers want is our fair share of the retail dollar. Of course. If we were to keep up, for example, with the retail prices for the last 20 years, mm-hmm. we'd be paid uh, probably about 70% more at the farm level than what we are today. Wow. So there are all these trade organizations out there supported by uh, uh, co-ops that represent over 80% of the milk in the country uh-huh. that just simply are not getting the job done for the dairy farmer. The International uh, Dairy Foods Organization that is now run by Tom Vilsack, our yeah. former Secretary uh, of Agriculture, uh, wants to in- increase our exports. They want to do so many things, but but any product that's made for ex- just about any product that's made for export is made from surplus milk and any time those products are made it further reduces our producer pay price or at least has done so in probably 9 out of 10 years so when all these organizations and and there are there may be 10 15 of them uh that purport to represent dairy farmers, the impact of their activities puts us where we are today with producer pay price, which is unsustainable pay price at the farm level. Mm -hmm. In other words, it costs more to milk the cow than the milk that you sell is worth. The revenue we generate, that's correct. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're we're all pretty clear on that. Um, So let's, since you just mentioned uh, import and export and so forth, I've been curious how a renegotiation of the NAFTA agreement might affect the dairy sector. Well, we hold the opinion that there are no answers to the dairy farmer's pay price in an in a export policy or import policy. We're never giving, given the straight facts in the first place. Um, we are told that 15% of our milk in this country is exported. Uh-huh. Uh, it's exported at a loss to the dairy farmer, but everybody else in the supply chain makes money on those exports. Really? But then on the import side, uh, we're told that only 2 or 3% of the 
the total milk supply in this country is imported. Well, the only thing that's measured on imports is what is passes through the import tariff rate schedules. Okay. And if there's a new milk formulation that that is imported that doesn't already exist on the import tariff rate schedule, it's not counted. So we don't really know how much um, is imported because nobody will publish anything outside of what's what's booked through the import tariff rate schedules. Uh-huh. I know it's a little complicated, but yes. let me give you an example. <laughs> uh, had a dairy on the East Coast at the same time I had one in New Mexico, uh-huh. and I ran across the street from my hotel one day, and there was an ice cream maker. And I said, wouldn't you like a fresh supply of milk from eight miles away, our dairy? Right. And he said, those tanks don't have any milk in them. We import a powder from Canada, add water to it. Uh-huh. And there's our and that makes our ice cream. Whoa. Yeah. And those formulated products are not included in the import tariff rate schedules. Wow. <clears throat> yes. So you know the sad news of all that? Uh farmer the- suicides. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty That'd sad be number news. Number two on my list. Yeah. Number one on my list is that ice cream tastes good. Oh yeah, that yeah. sucks. So, so, <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> well, you know how you know what we've done at National Milk Producers uh, Organization is we have trademarked 100% USA milk yeah. logo to be put on products at retail. Right. So we also have 100% USA beef uh, logo as well. I won't even get into all the the beef uh, country of origin labeling issues we've had. I've actually we've got- covered that quite a bit, but yes, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's an ongoing and enormous problem. I even talked about it on Dr. Oz because I was a guest on that show mm-hmm. recently. But anyway, yeah, we need to bring back country of origin labeling. But, but j- look- just one final thought sure, on sure. is I, DFA picks up my milk every day, Dairy Farmers of America. Right. They handle a third of the milk in the country. Yeah. So I go to them and I said, why don't we... Uh, use this 100% USA uh, trademark on all your products because research shows that a quarter of the people would pay 20% more for a product, comparable product, um, that wears that label versus one that doesn't. And 94% said they would prefer buying 100% USA. Of course. Well, my co-op imports products and probably Whoa. wouldn't qualify to use 100% USA. Now, my own co-op is displacing our own milk. Yeah. And and here is the million dollar question. We have a surplus of milk in this country. So what is the only reason that we import milk because we can get a lower price for it than is already rock bottom prices for dairy farmers? Yes. The the imports are less cost and Many of the ingredients, milk uh, ingredients that have been imported are fillers, uh, extenders, uh-huh. uh, the type of, of powders uh, that, that can be added, for example, to cheese to get two or three more pounds of cheese, finished product, out of 100 pounds of milk. I see. Now we are making some of those kinds of, of additives uh, in this country. So, uh, frankly, because formulations change, 
uh, on the packaging coming into this country, and if it doesn't fit into the import tariff rate schedule, you really don't know the truth of anything anymore. Wow. Gary, you're really upsetting me. This is Um, terrible. I got more. Let's keep going. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so let's identify who the biggest national players are in this import-export scam. Um, Well... <laughs> the minute the minute you put scam and me put names on them, you and I are both in trouble. Okay, well, uh, so I, I tell you what, we'll dial there, that back. <laughs> let's yeah, let's let's say the largest milk processing companies in this country are all likely part of the import. I mean, they have the right to import. Sure, but, but our point is, is if the U.S. consumer would know that that maybe some of the powder included is an ingredient in the products that they're uh, buying uh, is not made in the United States, might come from India or sure. the Philippines or right. mm-hmm. South America or somewhere. Maybe they would prefer to have one that was 100% USA sourced uh, product. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I I feel like in a way we're sort of veering dangerously into Trumpian territory of protectionism and everything, and yet at the same time, I completely see your point, and I agree with it, I admit. I mean, I think, you know, people should at least have the option of knowing, you know, that they, what, what their product is actually formulated from, um, and decide whether or not they want to buy 100% American. I think that is... I think that's a fair label to put on any food product or really any product that you care to name. I mean, it just seems sensible to support American agriculture in a way that is meaningful. This is absolutely right. And and that's why we came out with 100% USA beef. Yeah. A lot of dairy cows go into ham, uh, uh, hamburgers yes. every day that we all buy in fast food restaurants. Yep. And, but a lot of that beef is imported from somewhere else in the world. Oh, yeah. So, so when country of origin label, labeling rules came out, uh, it was North American beef, which includes south of our border, uh, the United States, and Canada. That's so right. So it includes imports from from Mexico and Canada, other places. Yes. Yeah, from our trading partners. I mean, those are our trading partners. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, I I mean, I, I this is another show because I'm I'm really more a meat expert more than I am. You know, dairy is like something I'm learning about now. But I, I actually did write a book about the meat industry, and so um, the whole country of origin labeling uh, catastrophe, um, you know, is something that is looms large in my mind, and I, I totally understand the nuances. But I mean, Canada and Mexico sued at the WTO to force uh, Congress to dump cool, or at least that's what Congress said, and well, that there would be like a what a thirty billion dollar tariff, um, a thirty billion dollar uh, penalty. Yes. For maintaining the, it, the thing is, is when farmers create their own logo, we don't need congressional approval to use it. Right. That's so, true. So here we go. We're uh, we're not uh, subjected to the country of origin labeling restrictions that have been put on us when farmers just create their own logos and use them. Uh huh. So. The trick is to get your processor, your distributor. 
<laughs> the trick is to get your processor and distributor to agree to put those labels on. And so if you're stuck with working with a Cargill or a Smithfield or a Tyson and they don't want to use those labels because they don't want to differentiate, then you've got a problem in terms of compliance. But we're gonna, we are going to um, take a quick break right now and we're going to come right back after the sponsor drop and we're going to talk about the farm bill. So stay tuned, folks. Thanks, Gary. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Uplands Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satari's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. I love Wisconsin cheese myself. Anyway, this is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're chatting with Gary Gensky today. Uh, Gary is a board member of the National uh, Dairy Producers NDPO, right? Organization, yes. Um, right. Gary, thanks again. And let's let's talk about the farm bill. Like, what, what do you guys want to see, what do you dairy farmer types want to see happen? If you could write your own section of the farm bill, what would it say? Well... We lobbied against the Income Over Feed Margin Protection Plan, which was started out the Peterson-Simpson Bill for the 2014 Farm Bill. Mm-hmm. And, and it boiled down to there were four parts originally suggested in, the, in their uh, early on discussions. They called it the foundation for the future, and I always said foundation for whose future. <laughs> but aside from that, uh, the program just landed on a form of government uh, uh, insurance, which is a income over feed margin protection. Well, I lobbied against it, wrote against it. Our organization uh, literally made trips into D.C., talked to most of the major House and Senate Ag Committee folks, told them that that it was uh, not going to be of any impact on sustainable milk prices for dairy farmers, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't get our way. Uh, hmm. there, there's far, far too much power uh, in agriculture for an organization. Uh, we're only, we only have 700 members from coast to coast, and there are 40,000 dairy farmers. So right. we need a whole lot more members to even make an impact back there. But they did hear us. And so... Going into this next farm bill, uh, the only thing that we've heard so far with respect to dairy farmers is a modified version of the current program. Uh-huh. So the government has collected, from numbers I've been quoted, uh, the government's collected $70 million 
uh, from that program, and they've only paid out like $17 million back. I have heard uh, that statistic as well. I have definitely yes. heard so that statistic go. as well. I, I'm, I'm still struggling to understand exactly. So income yes. over feed mark. So in other words, whatever you pay for feed, I'm struggling. I'm terrible at math, and I, I really struggle with these concepts. Um, so whatever you pay for feed is um, put against the income that you receive. Correct. And so the margin above that is essentially considered profit. Like, are you uh, insured well, a certain it, amount it, of that? Sure. A feed generally, historically, over the decades, has been approximately 50% of revenue. Yeah. So if we have a $15 per 100-weight milk price today, and there's a $7.50 feed cost, there's a $7.50 margin. Right. Well, and you can insure that margin. So if milk prices drop and you don't have a $7.50 margin and you paid for that insurance protection, then you would, you'd be paid like from a crop insurance uh, sure. type of a, an issue. So very, very little has been paid out. And for you to get anything out of that program, it almost has to be conditions that no dairy farmer will survive. Well, what what is the what is the explanation for why this uh, insurance program has failed to cover those uh, margin costs? How, how do they explain let's, not let's giving you your money? Not, yeah, let's just say that they've not covered an adequate margin. Right. Uh, the uh, Colin Peterson from Minnesota has admitted it going into this farm bill that the current farm bill as is has not worked at all. He was the mm-hmm. author of the the 2014 farm bill passed in February 15 of 2015. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, he's admitted that it hasn't worked, but that's all we hear so far in our farm bill is that there'll be an updated, uh, little better version uh, of that kind of program. And again, that's that's why our organization. This is one reason why our or our organization just does not expect Congress to to uh, hold the key to our uh, sustainable milk price. Uh, so then the question would be is, okay, well, what what is the answer? <clears throat> and if you don't mind, I'll go right off into that. You go right ahead and, and answer that question, Gary. I am on the edge of my seat. I'm not kidding. Well, <laughs> I want to hear 80% it. of the milk in this country pass through uh, upwards of 100 cooperatives Cooperatives are are a, a an organization that will receive our milk right. and market it, market it on behalf of of the farmer. That's right. Dairy Farmers of America, my co-op, for example, receives my milk and is obligated under my contract to market my milk. Uh-huh. Um, and we all know what the definition of marketing is, and I won't get into too much of that at the moment, but. What goes along with that is is uh, market, uh, the co-ops that receive the milk are also from its members are also receiving milk from others. For example, many proprietary and let's just say some you can imagine some of the biggest uh, companies receiving milk in the country that are popular brand names sure. and whatnot, like receiving milk in yeah. their proprietary organizations, guess what? They're closed on weekends and holidays. Well, guess what? My co-op 
accepts their milk just to help them out. Well, if we didn't do that, unless any milk my co-op receives can it can be demonstrated can be sold at at a profit with the producer in mind with you know strictly from the producer's perspective uh-huh. um, co-op law both federal and state in addition to my contract with my co-op requires co-ops to uh, market solely for the benefit of the producing members right our co-ops don't do that I see there are board meeting after board meeting and numerous co-ops that that the producer profitability question doesn't even come up in their board meetings. Any decision that a co-op makes should have a link to, well, how does this affect the producer pay price? Well, yeah. So, so if, and, and here's a, a typical uh, example of what goes on. Dairy Farmers of America just built another $150 million dollar uh, powder plant in Kansas. Uh-huh. That gives the producers the illusion that there's a new market for their milk. Right. It's not true. It's a home for milk. There is no market for the product coming out of that plant. So the question when, when asked, should we build a new powder plant, and everybody says, yeah, yeah, uh, the question of, well, how is that going to impact the producer pay price question was never asked. So those are the that's that's a major example, a big big example of of where the boards of of these co-ops made up of dairy producers um, fail to live up to the federal and state law that requires them to think only of the member uh, in in operating the co-op. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there's just a, a big failure uh, there, and we feel at NDPO that that if we were to focus on modifying the way co-ops do business according to federal and state law and the contracts they've made with their producers, the co-ops themselves would modify the way they do business to return uh, uh, sustainability uh, to the prices received by dairy farmers. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm gobsmacked by this uh, whole discussion because, um, you know, the dairy farmers of America. Okay, that's one story, but you're describing, you know, literally more than a dozen other organizations that are all sent. From what you're saying, essentially, they're killing the goose that lays the golden egg. I guess yes. because they can buy cheaper product from abroad and you know in powder form and bring and reconstitute it and sell it into the into you know various production models you know like why ice cream would, and cheese and yes, so forth. And why would any co-op and they are importing these products? Why would any co-op looking out for the best interests of its members import anything? Yeah, exactly. When there's a surplus of milk in this country, and they're doing it, and people are dumping milk. I mean, milk is being dumped all the time, as I understand it. There's milk being dumped only because there's a, a, a large amount of milk at times that they don't know what to do with. Right. I mean, they could pay four or five dollars. They could pay a third of its value and haul it somewhere else. But even the product that's made once it's hauled there uh, ends up being a product that further reduces pay price. So they say, well, we might as well just get rid of it. But see, that's, that's, that leads right into 
poor management of mm-hmm. of receiving milk. I mean, why would a co-op receive milk when it doesn't have a place to profitably sell it? Do um, you know any company anywhere, uh, Ford, General Motors, uh, computer maker, uh, uh, anybody who makes more than what can profitably be sold? And our co-ops are supposed to control that right. according to federal and state law and the contract that I have with my co-op specifically says marketing. Now, let me just say something about marketing. Out of my old marketing textbook, there was a good uh, little way to explain it. Inside of any organization that says, we're going to make widgets, so in, included in that process is is manufacturing, uh, equipment, space, rent, um, employees. Yeah. Um, all these are labels, marketing, all these labels should be put on a white ball and you juggle the, all these balls <laughs> to, to try to keep the organization uh, alive, profitable, and thriving. But on one ball, it's a green ball, the word profit. And you never drop the profit ball. Uh-huh. And the profit isn't the co-op's profit. Law requires that it's the member's profit the co-op thinks about. Yeah. And that's not getting done. I, I, I just, you know, there, I'm, <laughs> as you can see, I'm, I am rarely speechless, but I am speechless now. No, I, I, I find this incomprehensible. So in other words, all of these uh, dairy farmers, all 40,000 of them are paying into, you know, paying their dues. They're paying into these insurance programs, like the 70 million that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, of which they've gotten 17 million back. That's not something, that was not a free, that's not free. They pay for that insurance. So they've paid $70 million, and they've gotten $17 million back. So that's something that's on, I suppose, the USDA. But the rest of this stuff is on these various organizations that purport to support dairy farmers and yet somehow have failed to regulate the production of milk, the supply stream of milk, to the point where it is now more expensive to produce the milk than the revenue that you derive from it. I think that sums up our conversation here pretty well, right? Well, well what does OPEC do? Yeah, right. Too much oil. They Too much oil, they throttle back on production. But how do you throttle back on production with cows? Like, that is a question. Ah, glad you brought that up. Okay, Isn't I'm glad I did that do that. our marketing function inside of each co-op? I'm not going to tell my co-op, I'm not going to tell Land of Lakes, I'm not going to tell Kraft. I'm not going to tell anybody how to do that. They all know what to do to handle, to profitably handle the milk that they're accountable for. So I don't have to go to all 100 co-ops and say, this is what you're going to have to do. Like somebody would like the government to push that down on everybody. You see, that becomes the problem. How can the government have one answer for all businesses? They can't. Right. So... Let's just get the producers to fix their own problem. In the organization that they're producing their milk for, that says they'll market their milk, and marketing is a function of deriving a profit, um, a desired level of profit. And, and if they're not doing that, they're not doing their job. So let's get them to do, all do their job. Yeah, well, that, I, <laughs> that seems to be the, 
the million dollar issue. I, you know, I keep going back to that analogy. I'm sorry. Um, so would you say, in, I mean, because what we're talking about is like the co-ops are supposed to be telling farmers when to throttle back, when to push forward. Um, are you, would you say that dairy farmers are their own best advocates in this or their own worst enemies with working with the co-ops? I mean, okay. I, I feel like the dairy farmers seem to be sort of hapless, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, they just kind of go along to go along and they don't seem to be taking much control over these organizations that are meant to serve them. And I, I'm curious about why they seem so helpless. I have lectured on these over the last two weeks in Oregon, New Mexico, and Arizona. Yeah. And the fact is we can, and, and, and most co-ops will tell their members, just get more efficient and you'll make it. Well, you know what? You can't get much more efficient. You got the best producers in the world now trying to hang on with low price. Yeah. The point, the, yeah, the, 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 the most important uh, part is that, that our co-ops should be marketing to get us back a sustainable milk price. Uh, it's in the existing retail dollar. We just don't get it. We don't get our fair share of the retail dollar because mm-hmm. we don't have anybody in D.C., uh, saying, "Hey, the farmers need their fair share of this. Let's let's go for it." In Canada, okay, I was going to ask you about Canada because they seem to have no problem with this. Well, and let me tell you why uh, is because the the government in Canada supports agriculture, right? In a way you cannot believe, they will meet with the government itself. will will meet with producers, uh-huh. processors, retailers, and producers to quarterly to determine how much milk should be in the pipeline for the next quarter. Wow. And that's what the way they, they do business there. Right. Agriculture and farming is, is a very important uh, uh, commodity <clears throat> and industry in, in Canada, and, and their actions uh, show it. Uh, you're absolutely right. Producers in Canada are paid almost double what we are and wow. at, at this time and and they do not have a decline in milk sales right so <laughs> what's wrong what's wrong with this we don't have a government behind the producers in this country like they do in Canada but again we control by members on boards of directors our co-ops they're just simply not doing the job. That most producers leave their uh, that are on boards leave those meetings thinking they're doing a good job. Well, they haven't been told what their primary responsibilities are to their members is to make their members' price sustainable, not make the co-op money. Right. But doesn't the USDA set a, like a base price for milk? Like, isn't yes. there? There is, yeah. right? Okay, so well, let me So why let me can't that, that be better? Yeah. <laughs> Less than 1% of milk in this country is traded in, in the way of cheese at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange okay. daily between our milk-buying uh, uh, customers, between themselves. That sets the basis for the federal milk uh, marketing order price, minimum monthly price announcements. In other words, our customers are starting out the formula that 
outprices all milk in the country. I, I see. So in other words, this is the fox guarding the hen house. I can't believe how many of these totally, cliches absolutely. I can come up with here. It's just like amazing. <laughs> okay. So so then we have four classes, class one, two, three, right. and four. One is bottle. Yep. Two is other refrigerated products in the dairy case. Right. Three and four is what you do with milk when you have to make long-lived products, like class three is cheese, class yep. four is powder Excuse me, butter and powder. Okay. So those products last a long time. Yeah. So when you when you make too much, you make three class three and four. Now historically, class three and four are the are the ones that reduce overall producer pay prices. And so for making too much of those products, then get those producers in those markets to stop that production. Right. That's what the co-ops are supposed to do is in order to keep us uh, with sustainable milk prices. Right, right. I'm just, I, unfortunately, we don't have too much more time here. We kind of got to wrap it up. But what, 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 what would be the best thing for dairy farmers to do, in your opinion, to uh, kind of make these prices, to, to, to guarantee their fair share of that retail price, as you've said? Um, what, what's, what is their, what are their options there? Is it just leaning on their co-ops to do a better job of protecting them? Um, or is it, uh, to work with the USDA on changing the way milk prices are set? Um, you know, or what are, what are the other options? I don't really see any other, but you are an expert and I am not. Well, again, asking the government for any help at all is, is fruitless. Uh, the government cannot help us at the detriment of all the milk buyers. I mean, just, just step back and think about that. Okay, farmers, we're going to help you. Oh, by the way, Kraft and uh, Leprino and and DFA, oh, by the way, your milk's going to cost you more. Uh-huh. Goodbye. No, uh-huh. that is never going to work. And so you're not going to get the government to step in and, and, and help one segment of a whole industry at the expense of somebody else. Uh-huh. So... You just you hit the nail on the head. The dairy farmers uh, must know who represents them on these boards. Yeah, and and have the board member go to these meetings and insist that the co-op operate in accordance with federal and state law. And if they just simply did that, everybody's going to say, "Oh my goodness, we're not doing that." And guess what? They're going to have to find out sooner or later, that when only the members' profitability is what they should be talking about, things will change, and they'll change in a big hurry. So huh. That seems like a pretty easy solution, Gary. Well, aren't we just asking people to do the job they're sent in on these boards to do? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's some... like, obviously, they don't want to, or they'd be doing it. Well, they don't know what the responsibilities are, and I know a lot of these uh, board members, they just simply are, are just kind of like, "Whoa, are you serious?" Wow. Yes, that's. But see, the co-op corporate folks obviously aren't informing uh, board members of their responsibility. Remember, these board members are not PhDs in marketing, in sales, in product development uh-huh. uh, on the board. They're they're farmers. They jump off their tractors, jump in their pickups, run to a board meeting. The outline is laid out in front of them of the agenda, and they're sold whatever it is that wants to be done. They go home think they did thinking they did a good job Whoa. when in fact every single item on that agenda should have 
given them some indication that it'll sustain or improve the producer pay price. Mm-hmm. And that never happens. Never happens. Mm-hmm. And it's really about, it comes down to regulating supply and demand, essentially. Well, again, I'm going to, let's just say between you and me and the fence post, <laughs> it is, it is all about that. But I can't tell a co-op, I can't tell DFA how to do it because they've got so many commitments and so many other things, but they can sure approach decision-making with their members in mind, and they don't do that now. Well, it and seems the, re- like the results of where we are proves it. Yeah. Well, it seems like their minds are on things like really fancy new corporate offices and six-figure salaries for their board members. I mean, that's, um, that's kind uh, of what I saw you well, know, when I started looking into this. Well, millions for their corporate folks. Yeah, that's what I mean. Not their board members, but their corporate. You can't even get me started. We don't have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have another shot at this, Gary, I can tell. Um, I unfortunately have to wrap this up. I want to say thanks so much to Wisconsin Cheese, my sponsor for today. And Gary, thank you so, so much for helping us understand, you know, what is both incredibly simple, the way you laid it out and yet obviously very difficult to achieve and very complex in the um, in the sort of execution. So um, I appreciate you uh, laying open some of the some of these nooks and crannies uh, in the dairy industry. And I, you know, I really hope that um, farmers start taking more control over this because I, I like I said, I just feel like people are, are kind of hapless victims. And, um, you know, you hate to see that for American agriculture and especially dairy farms. I mean, really. Can I please put in a plug yes. for a national dairy producer organization? Yes. And tell people where they can find it on the website. The website. Well, it's what just that. It's yeah. www.nationaldairyproducersorganization.com. Yep. And get on our Tuesday evening calls. And you'll talk to producers all over the country. Cool. So you got that, people? Listen up. You can join that conversation at ndpo.com. And uh, Tuesday evenings, they have an open call. It's available to dairy farmers all across the country. So I I think that's a valuable forum, and I I would certainly take advantage of that. Uh, Gary, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Again, thanks to Wisconsin Cheese for my sponsorship. And uh, we'll see you next week with another great show. Thanks for listening, people. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Searching for-